Hello, and welcome to Humanities Matter, brought to you by Brill. I'm Lee Chung Greco, and this week we'll be looking at key issues in the field of humanities. Hello, we're sitting down here today with Dr. Bram de Ritter. He has authored the article, When the Analogy Breaks, Historical References in Flemish News Media at the Onset of the COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, Bram, welcome. Thanks for sitting down with us. Hello, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. So we're talking about how the Flemish media is covering coronavirus. And you looked at how three Flemish outlets covered COVID-19 the historical references they included. What's interesting is you found that 65% of these articles had historical references, and most of them referenced the SARS epidemic of 2002 and 2003. But they also looked at the Black Death and the 1918 flu pandemic, plus they also referenced the 2008 recession. So before we talk about how these news outlets were using these historical references. Can you just tell us a little bit about the three outlets that you looked at for this paper? Um, well, yes. Um, what you need to know about uh, Flemish media or, or Flanders in general, it's it's a very small region uh, in, in Belgium. It's a very small population, uh, about 7 million people. Um, so there is not too, there are not too many news outlets that you can look at. Um, basically, we have the public broadcaster, which is government funded, and then you have two large media concerns uh, that compete with one another and with the, the, the public broadcaster, and, and that's basically it. Um, so we decided to look at uh, the online coverage of the public broadcaster, that being an, an important news, uh, news outlet, and then for the two private, uh, privately owned media concerns, um, they have one... Uh, each of, of them have one publication that is aimed at a, a higher educated audience, an audience that demands a bit more of its of its coverage, and one really popular outlet. And we decided that for both cases, we wanted to go with the journal or the, the newspaper that aims at the, the higher educated audience, just because the chance was bigger that we would see more history in, in those publications than we would see in the other two. Um, but combined, the three outlets basically cover... Uh, the day-to-day news that you would see in, in Flanders uh, on, on a normal basis. Um, that, that were the main reasons why we decided to select these three uh, outlets. And as I mentioned before, uh, several of these outlets uh, were referencing the SARS epidemic of 2002 um, at the early stages of the corona outbreak. And you write that specifically for Flanders, there's strong indications that relying on historical analogies provided a false sense of security um, at the beginning of the outbreak. So I found that really interesting because I felt the same way in the U.S. Um, when corona was compared to SARS, um, it gave me a sense that uh, somehow coronavirus would be somewhat contained. Um, so can you tell us why do some historical analogies give audiences a false sense of security? Um, that is a really great question. Um, I'm only hesitating a bit to give a definitive answer on that. Um, the reason for that is that, first and foremost, it is one of the questions that we're trying to deal with in, in our broader research. This paper is part of a broader research project that deals with applied history and, and questions of uh, how can you use history in a, in a proper way, in a way that, that helps you build instead of just being, being critical. Um, 
So it is a question that we hope to have an answer to in, in three or four years. Um, beyond that, another reason why it is difficult to, to determine um, why some historical an analogies serve as, as reassurances rather than, than as something that, that spikes concern um, is actually, it's difficult without to answer that question without a psychologist. Um, you actually need a historian and a psychologist sitting together to answer that question. Um, one of the reasons for that is that um, you actually have to um, also look at how people deal with information, how they process information, um, how they um, are, you know, what, what kind of information they find reassuring. And, and that's a question that's more uh, food of thought for a psychologist than for a historian. Um, for beyond that, beyond the fact that it's difficult for me to answer that question right now, um, there are perhaps some things that, that we want to look at in, in the future regarding this question. And that is that um, we strongly believe within the project that um, human beings usually only have the past to make assessments by, or perhaps not only, but it's one of the main things or one of the main resources they use to when they make decisions about the present or the future. Um, and in that sense, the most uh, reliable past that they can, can associate themselves with is, is the past that they have experienced or the past that they can immediately relate to. And in this regard, SARS was the nearest epidemic. I mean, there is no one who had an experience of the Black Death or any family members who died in the Black Death that they know of um, regarding the 1918-1919 Spanish flu. The same goes. It, it's not something that you can immediately relate to. Whereas SARS is something that... Um, people knew and that they thought perhaps, okay, it, it won't be any different because I've already had an experience of this previous pandemic. Um, another thing that we want to look at, uh, and this goes a bit more into the, the psychology territory, is that um, history is powerful for storytelling. Um, there's actually a great book on this uh, by Alex Rosenborg, uh, How History Gets Things Wrong. Um, who is the researcher is very critical of this idea that, that we use histories really as stories and that we start telling a narrative or telling, start telling a tale by using historical references. And this is perhaps something that played here as well. We knew SARS and we wanted to tell ourselves a, a story about how this epidemic would also play out. Um, and, and this uh, SARS reference played nicely into the... Uh, the good story, the, the idea that it won't be as that it wouldn't be as bad as, as we all thought. In this sense, and that is something that we did pick up in the paper. Um, there's also the fact that a lot of the early coverage of, of uh, the coronavirus was based on wishful thinking. It's not that a lot of people looked closely to a comparison between SARS and uh, the new coronavirus. Uh, they just believed that it wouldn't be different. They just believed that it would be the same. And therefore, it was a relevant and reassuring analogy, uh, regardless of the actual data or the actual things that, that uh, seem to be different or seem to be the same. Um, those outlets, though, they didn't use SARS for long uh, as a historical marker. Um, can you talk about, you know, at what point in the pandemic did we see SARS lose its relevance as a historical marker? And, you know, why did these news outlets stop referencing it? Um, they, they started shifting at a very distinct um, point in time, which was around the end of January, the beginning of February. The beginning of February. Um, and the reason for that was simply that the, the, 
death toll of the new coronavirus surpassed that of, of SARS. Um, you can clearly see that for the most of January, um, there was this reassuring tendency, like it's not like SARS, it's not like SARS. And then all of a sudden, there have more people died of the new virus than people had died of SARS. Um, so it made no sense to continue arguing that this was similar or that this was not as bad as, as SARS had been. So um, that was a very, very clear uh, shift at that moment. Um, it should also be noticed that SARS did not completely disappear. Um, the amount of references dropped significantly from about 53% to 18% uh, in, in mid-March. And SARS is still referenced at the moment, but just to a much lesser degree than, than was the case in, in January when, when SARS was really dominant in Flemish media. So then we get past January. Uh, once we're into February, uh, De Morgan, which is the center-left outlet, uh, they use the Spanish flu as a starting point for a hypothetical. Um, but when they asked a virologist about this, uh, the virologist said that our medical knowledge today makes the scenario comparable to the 1918 flu highly unlikely. Um, can you just explain why isn't that an apt comparison? Uh, I've been reading a lot about uh, the 1918 flu and I keep seeing all of these parallels. Well, I, I think you're right in seeing those parallels. And um, the thing with historical analogies is that they're never perfectly right or perfectly wrong. Um, there are just some parts of an analogy that you compare or some parts of a, a present, a past example that you can compare to the present. Uh, it will never be a 100% fit. Uh, it's just how you deal with the differences and the similarities that determines um, where, where you're heading to. Um, in this particular case, and I can of course not speak to the, the person who made the comment in the, in the newspaper. Um, I think what the main thing is that they're referencing is that um, the societal and, and medical circumstances were completely different in, in 1918, 1919, as was the disease itself. Um, uh, with regards to the disease, for example, one difference is that uh, the Spanish flu mainly targeted young people, people in their 20s or 30s, um, whereas now we see a disease that mainly targets people uh, over 60. Uh, also regarding uh, the differences in society. I mean, 1918-1919, it's a society right after the First World War. Uh, people had been weakened by that war. Society had been disrupted by that war. You had troops still being all over the world and being transported back home and, and to other locations, which is a very specific circumstance. Um, and then finally, regarding the medical circumstances, uh, medical science was not at the level it, it is today, not, not by any standard which I think for this virologist would have been the main point of comparison. What can we do today that we couldn't do in, in 1918 or eight, uh, 1919? And then he's right. And there are may, major differences that make such a scenario highly unlikely. Um, but as you pointed out, I mean, those are the differences, but there are equally similarities. I mean, um, when you look at the medical mistakes, um, you had still practices of bloodletting going on in 1918, 1919. Um, which obviously didn't work, but you had at the beginning of this crisis, you had the famous chloroquine drug that, that was hailed as, as the solution to everything Corona related and turned out to be not so successful. Uh, you had in, in 1918, 1919, you had periods where authorities took wrong decisions, uh, just as you have today. You had the pressure back then to 
to open up, to, to let normal life continue, not to restrict people from going out, just as you have these calls today. So it's mainly what you're looking at, whether or not the, the comparison is, is relevant or not. I think the Spanish flu has to teach or can teach us a lot for today. Um, but you have to be aware of both the, the similarities and, and the differences if you want to make a sensible comment on whether or not you can use it. Seems like most of the similarities, uh, they're not coming from the diseases themselves, but they're coming from human nature. We're still seeing uh, that, you know, there are quacks out in the world telling us to take different kinds of medicines that may or may not work. And we're still seeing governments pressure, uh, you know, to stay open. Uh, so it seems like that is the through line here. Yes, perhaps. I mean, it, it's it's somewhat of a cliche to say that, that context and circumstances change, but human nature doesn't. Um, I wouldn't go as far as, as substantiating that particular claim here today, but I think there is, um, you can in every circumstance see some trends for some people behaving in, in a way that they would have, have uh, behaved themselves if, if they were born in a different century. So I, I think you're right in that a lot of the similarities come from people making similar choices in in, in circumstances that, that are different but still lead to, to similar outcomes. So um, again, it, it's difficult to make a distinctive uh, or definitive uh, claim regarding this, this question or disposition, but I think you're right that uh, humans uh, will make similar choices uh, at certain points in time. I'm curious, as you read all of these newspapers, uh, read through uh, these three different outlets, did you see that as journalists were trying to draw historical comparisons, uh, did you find that medical experts were hesitant to draw those comparisons at all? Um, no, not at all. Um, most of the coverage even was based on or, or let's say the, the historical references that journalists used, a lot of them were based on historical references that were provided by the experts themselves. I mean, um, I, I mentioned this in the paper, and, and of course this is a paper about the news media and, and the outlets making certain choices or putting certain things in, in, uh, online in their coverage. Um, but it were also the experts who were making claims about 1918, 1919, uh, SARS, MERS, um, uh, the avian flu, the Mexican flu, and so on. This also featured in, in their discourse as well. Um, for example, you mentioned the virologist earlier who said this, this won't be the same as uh, the Spanish flu. In the standard, there was a, an, uh, a retired researcher who was saying, no, this, this might be the same as the Spanish flu. So they were also struggling to find the right historical analogies, and, and they also went by what they knew from history, what they had learned from history, either the history they were taught or the history they experienced earlier on in their careers. Um, so it's it's not only the journalists, it's, it's definitely also the experts um, that were using history to, to describe what was going on. And some made the right calls and some made, unfortunately, and in hindsight, only in hindsight you can mention this, they made the wrong calls. Yeah, I guess I'm curious as to why medical experts would do that. I understand as a journalist myself why a reporter would want to draw those comparisons. As you mentioned, it helps with storytelling. But if you're a medical expert, I wonder why you might not be a little bit more hesitant to 
make those connections there. Well, here I can only speculate. I mean, I, I, I cannot uh, decide or, or, or tell you uh, instead of these experts why they took the decisions or, or mentioned the cases they mentioned. Um, I think it, it's, and, and this is a more broad comment regarding that that's based on also my experience with other disciplines beyond biology or virology, but with, for example, international relations or law. Um, History is, is easy to use. The examples are available, even if you don't know much about them. People like it when you use history because it sounds authoritative. You, you know, or you give the impression that you know what you're talking about. Um, people also have their own experiences with history and, and they might absorb information easier if they can compare it to something. I mean, I'm definitely not accusing the journalists or, or the, uh, the experts that they, they made a very grave or substantial mistake and that they should have known better. I, I also made the mistake of thinking this would be something like SARS earlier on. Um, but the thing is, they also, the experts also have to communicate this in a way that the, that the people understand. So if people know SARS, if they know MERS, if they know the Mexican flu, then why not use these cases to tell your story? Uh, unfortunately, it was the wrong story. Um, turned out to be a, a mistaken case that, that to compare it to these three examples, but if people know these examples, you can, you can still use them to, to describe it. Mm-hmm. And other than that, and then this may be a final point on this again, this is about wishful thinking. My, my impression, but this is only an impression I can't substantiate it through the research, is that the information in January and early February coming from China was it might have been better than during SARS, but it, it was far from perfect. Um, and that, again, there are a lot of the, the, the scientists and experts involved took the decision to, 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 to or, or had the impression that this would not be worse and that, that the lessons from SARS had been learned and that they genuinely believed that this would not be different and that the data was not pointing to something different. Um, it's... It would be a very interesting question, actually, to to interview perhaps some of these experts and, and ask them again in hindsight: um, Did did you have the data in January and February to to really see or to really believe that this would not be worse than SARS, or were there already indicators that you have missed because you thought it would be like SARS? But that is more a question for them than than it than it is one that I can answer. And something else that you repeated in your work was that a lot of the commentary at the time in January January and February um, was saying that the Chinese government was handling this very well. Um, we know now, at least in the U.S., according to uh, intelligence reports that came out in early April, um, that the Chinese government was underreporting. Uh, so I imagine that that probably influenced the uh, more optimistic outlook that people had about this early on. Probably. I mean, this definitely was one of the lines or, or the early lines that you could see in the, in the media coverage, like when they were making the comparison with SARS, um, the universal tone in the media was the Chinese government is much more forthcoming in uh, providing information, it's more much more direct in dealing with this. It cooperates much better with uh, the World Health Organization than it did in 2002 and 2003. So that really was an optimistic tone. Um, 
I can't decide uh, or, or I don't have enough information to, to see whether or not that was accurate and, and whether or not Chinese government should, should have done more, could have done more. Um, I think there are people better placed to make that call than, than I am. But purely from this research, um, yes, in January and February, people believe that, that China was doing a great job. And that has indeed uh, changed at the moment, also in Flemish media. So what's the lesson for journalists who want to provide context here? Obviously, this is a totally unprecedented event. Uh, so reporters are just trying to help people make sense of it all. Um, so what advice do you have for them? And then what advice do you have for readers who might be reassured by reading about previous plagues and pandemics? Well, with regard to journalists, and I again would like to stress that um, the paper is not um, intended to point out a huge mistake they made or one that they could have avoided. I mean, this this was, um, it's also the first time we did this kind of research. So all of the conclusions are, are pretty, pretty new also for us. Um, and I, I don't think they made, they did the best as, or they did what they could do with the, with the means at their disposal. The only thing that, given the research that we've done currently, I would like to see them differently is to be um, more aware of how you're using history. Um, um, the analogies you provide, the cases, the comparisons you make, yes, they can help you to tell a story. Yes, they can help you to clarify some of the points you want to make to your audience. But perhaps do check with a historian, a trained historian or someone else who knows about these cases. Um, is this really uh, an accurate comparison or not, not an accurate comparison, but a comparison uh, that makes sense, a comparison that, that does compare the things that I want to say with the actual case in, in history instead of, uh, I wouldn't say using it as a, as a shorthand for all sorts of uh, ideas you have about how this might unfold. Um, do check how, you, how you're using history, be aware of that. Um, that would be the main advice. And beyond that, I don't think uh, journalists can or should change much in, in how they are covering this. Uh, they're doing their best with the, the means they have. Uh, and this is just one, one minor or major, depending on your, your point of view, but one thing they could change or could be more aware of. Um, with regard to uh, readers who might be uh, reassured too soon, um, I think it's it's sort of the same approach as, as journalists, be aware of how history is used, how it influences the coverage. But beyond that, try to keep an open mind. Um, more, history is, is, is a great resource because it shows you how things can change rapidly and how things don't stay the same forever. Um, so um, if you see coverage that compares the present or the future with some historical case, be aware that there are other cases that might point to something something different and that a lot of the historical coverage or the historical analogies you see in the media are abbreviated, serve a certain purpose and are not necessarily the best ones available. Um, in this regard, and when it comes to keeping an open mind, for example, something that you see a lot of historians, but also virologists, uh, talking about currently is the second wave. Um, 
the, the virologists, the, the experts who are dealing with the disease itself, continuously warn for this. Um, and I think they are joined in that warning by a lot of uh, historians as well. Uh, Neil Ferguson also mentioned this a couple of times. Other, other historians also do it. Um, usually these diseases come in one in, in two or three waves, with the second one being, being the worst. Let's hope that this time might be different. History not necessarily repeats itself, uh, but there is equally a chance that the uh, worst is still to come. Um, we can't tell at the moment. Historians nor the virologists can tell you that for sure, that there will be a second wave, nor can they predict that it will be worse than the first wave. But there is a good chance and, and you do well not to be surprised when that second wave comes. Really fascinating paper. Um, Dr. Bram DeRitter, he has written When the Analogy Breaks, Historical References in Flemish News Media at the Onset of the COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, Dr. DeRitter, thanks again so much for talking with us today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, reading the rest of your research going forward. Thank you very much. And uh, I'll uh, keep you posted about future results. You are listening to the Humanities Matter podcast. You can find more podcast episodes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast.